Meanwhile, at the Hall of Cage. Well, I'm one of those fortunate people who like my job, sir. Got my first chemistry set when I was seven, blew my eyebrows off, we never saw the cat again, been into it ever since. <laughs> I did a bare 360 triple backflip in front of 22,000 people. It's kind of funny. It's on YouTube. Check it out. Somehow they managed to get every creeping freak in the universe in this one plane. Coffee and a muffin. Okay, so I need to establish themes. Maybe banana. That's a good muffin. So just quiet down, my little one, and call me dad. Get some balloons and go to the puppet show. Sorry, boss, but there's only two men I trust. One of them's me, and the other's not you. Oh, that's terrifying. <laughs> Recording in progress. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Cage and Greatness, the show where we discuss the films of Nicolas Cage 49.725% of the time. That's the actual math this time. Oh. Um, it's your normal hosts, and we have a very special guest that we're super duper excited for, yes, our yes. brand new friend, Marco, who wrote a fantastic book. Yes. And, uh, we're going to talk to him about <laughs> it. Uh, would you like to tell us the title there? Yes. First of all, thank you guys for having me. I'm honored. And yeah, the book I wrote is called The Haunting of Nicolas Cage. And it is fantastic. It is great. I love this story. Oh my goodness. Oh yeah. Got well, my copy too. <laughs> Should have prepared for class. Yeah. <laughs> Written by a Cage fan for Cage fan. So I'm, I'm thrilled that you guys enjoyed it. Because if, if you didn't, then I really screwed up. No, it's it's fair. I I could see it in my head clear as day as I was reading it. It's very oh, yeah. descriptive. And it, like we, uh, we, we are, so we have some questions that, you know, we just want to talk about that. We'd let you talk about as much as you want, but again, we had some questions too, because, you know, we're curious fellas. And so, uh, yeah, uh, I guess we just jump right into it. I was about to say, this is my first interview, so I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> Fair we, warning. Fair have, warning. Nobody knows what they're doing ever. So <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> that's true that's very true that's fair we don't know what we're doing here at all <laughs> so the the basic uh the basic story is that nicholas cage owned a very haunted house and and a lot of the so much of the book is based on real life based on actual people things that happened and it's it's really great and uh like we're gonna get into is that okay if we get into spoilers for the book on the show hey absolutely this is your show you lead the way and i'll follow all right. Uh, that's a horrible idea, but we're going to go with it. <laughs> you, you, you give it him carte blanche, fatal mistake. We're professional here every so often. Every now and then. I think we're going to rise to the occasion this time. Or we're going to crash and burn. Who knows? We'll see. <laughs> so uh, my first question is, you know, all the, the characters in the book just about have real life counterparts or are from real life. Even the snakes, his his pet snakes, Moby and Sheba. Um, I know Philomene Laveau. You know, that name came from uh, the original Marie Laveau's daughter. Her name was Philomene. So uh, that, but my, my question is Pat the Hobo. Like the, Excuse the you. Man. <laughs> not, not this Pat the Hobo, but the other Pat the Hobo. <laughs> I would say, Marco, I was very honored. You did me a favor with this book and I hadn't even met you yet. That was, uh, that was my little uh, preemptive shout out. <laughs> uh, did he have any basis on a real life person or was that just, uh, you know, like where did, where did Pat the character come from? 
Yeah, weirdly enough, he he actually kind of did. Um, it's it's a random story. It doesn't really have anything to do with with Cage at, at all. But basically, when I moved out to L.A. like 20 years ago, uh, I was going to Santa Monica College. Right. And I was I would walk every morning from my apartment to the college campus. And en route, I kind of befriended this homeless guy named Patrick. And he was like the first homeless guy I ever met in my life. Um, Cause I grew up in like the suburbs of Buffalo, New York. So it was very, you know, sheltered. And, and so all of a sudden I'm in LA and, and, and so every morning I'd be walking to school and, and he would just sort of, he was like super charismatic and like funny, but you know, hygienically challenged for sure. And he would, uh, you know, somehow <laughs> He, you would always end up your, your, your wallet would be just a little bit lighter after you had a conversation with him. Or if I was, you know, I would be coming with like, I'd be walking with breakfast and, you know, I'd give him some food or whatever. Like he just always managed to kind of get something out of you, but he did it in a very like friendly way. And so I guess, yeah, you always remember your first homeless friend. So I, I, I never forgot about Pat all these years later. And, uh, and I don't know, I just felt like I needed a character to really kind of juxtapose with Nick's stature in life. Uh, you know, he's a celebrity and everything, even though he's a little down and out when we meet him. And I just thought that, uh, I don't know, a character like that, it seemed like a great pairing. It worked really well in the book, especially when he came back as the undead ghost. Was your friend Pat also murdered by the ghost of Atarbosaurus and dumped outside of a haunted mansion? Weirdly enough, he was. Uh, <laughs> I actually have no idea what happened to Pat, um, but uh, sure, let's say that it might have been dinosaur related. Fair enough. I also want to compliment you on your wardrobe. That's a fantastic shirt. No, <laughs> this whole thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now say that's a very familiar shirt. Oh, it's almost like it's. I just like, threw this on. Epublic.com <laughs> slash user slash Cajun greatness. Uh, weird how that works. Now, Jim, I thought you told me we weren't going to do our own plugs this week. We're not going to do our own plugs. We're going to plug the hell out of the show. Uh, right, Pat, you got some questions. We were just going to go around and. Yeah. yeah um, my question was, what was sort of your starting point into horror? Like, you know, as, for someone like me who's honestly barely new into like appreciating the horror as like a bigger genre and just like this uh, art form, like I was, I have my own beginnings and since it's very recent, I was like, what made you want to start heading this direction and sort of like consuming art and like making it yourself? Great question. Um, yeah, I mean, I had always been a huge horror fan. I, I grew up, like I'm sure you guys did too, watching some of the old 80s slashers um, during sleepovers at friends' houses on, you know, VCRs and everything. So it was just, that was sort of my, you know, it, it always felt exciting and, and dangerous. And, and it was just a genre that I always loved. But, um, you know, when I first moved out here and I was making movies with friends and just get it going to like film school and doing all that stuff. I was very kind of all over the place in terms of my interests and genres. Um, and, you know, I wanted to write, I wanted to act, I wanted to direct, I wanted to do all this stuff and all of these different genres. And, and I got to a certain point where I was like, I'd rather, instead of being like a jack of all trades, master of none, I'd rather just pick the one genre I love the most and just try to be like good at it. Um, yeah. It's kind of like, I don't know if you guys ever saw the, the first season of True Detective, but oh, yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there's a line that's kind of stuck with me and it kind of, you know, it, it haunts me in a good way. But there's a line that um, Russ Cole has at one point, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but it's like, life is barely long enough to get good at one thing. So be, be careful what you get good at. 
you know? And so I, that just always kind of stuck with me and not that that was the turning point, but like, it just, um, it definitely feeds into that sentiment of just like, I just want to be really good at one thing and just have fun with it. And yeah. So horror was it for me. I mean, great choice. Yeah. Oh yeah. 100%. All right. Like the, 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 there are scenes in the book that are really, really like just harsh and messed up in addition to being hilarious. But oh yeah, the, uh, the one scene of the ghost of the Tarbosaurus skull being propelled as if by a giant ghost dinosaur body smashing around <laughs> was both hilarious and terrifying. And I, I love that bit. Oh yes. Oh, and also thanks. the bugs squished into the wounds of Nicolas Cage's whip back. That that was gross <laughs> and yucky. Nice and I applaud you for that. It's very Sam Raimi. Oh yeah. Well, thank, yeah, no, that's awesome. I mean, I'm I'm glad you guys dug that. And definitely, I'd be lying if I said the Evil Dead movies weren't an influence in terms of like the tone and the energy. Um, I just yes. love that that blend of just like terror and gore, but you're also laughing your ass off. And it's just, you know, I, I just love that. So, um, and the bugs though, actually, weirdly enough, that is taken from actual history, apparently, uh, Delphine Lalari. Um, and I don't know if I'm butchering her name. I think I've heard it. Uh, the, the correct pr French pronunciation is different from Lalari, but we're not in France. So I'm just going <laughs> to, I'm going to butcher it. But um, it helps. But, that's how I heard it pronounced on the ghost shows I watched when I was a kid. So perfect. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that was apparently, I mean, it's really messed up, but that was apparently one of the methods of torture that she would actually do with her slaves is, you know, whip them up and, uh, you know, or cut them or whatever. And then she would put honey on their wounds and then put insects on the honey. So they would basically start to eat them alive. I mean, you can't make, I mean, you could make shit like that up, but I, I'm, I'm not that deranged. So that was just, um, yeah, I just took that from history. Oh, wow. Okay, so um, I huge fan of the cover. I really, really freaking dig this cover. But um, also, as the um, one of the resident wrestling nerds in the house, I have to ask: uh, Did the cover draw any inspiration from the uh, late great Scott Hall? And if not, how did this cover come uh, to be? Anyhow. Um. I, I hate to disappoint you. It was not <laughs> uh, from the late great Scott Hall. Um, funnily enough, I've actually I've worked with Diamond Dallas Page before. Oh, and, really? Oh, awesome. Yeah. And we were we were friends for a bit. Um, and uh, he yeah, he was I you know, I watched the, uh, the the documentary he did on Jake the Snake. Yeah. The resurrection of Jake the Snake Roberts. Good one. Yeah. Yeah. So, so good. I mean, yeah, for sure. Um, but no, I did not uh, reference that. I, I just honestly, I kind of iterated like a few different like samples of covers of what it could look like. And that was just one idea that I had. And uh, my girlfriend is the one who actually like has Photoshop skills. <laughs> I do not. So I, <laughs> I basically micromanaged her for like a couple of weeks to just like get it just right. And it was such a pain in the ass because when you're uh, getting your books printed from Amazon, it's, there's just little variations and like what it looks like on your computer screen versus like what you get when you're actually holding it, you know, and yeah. uh, yeah. it took the longest time to get that red, right. And I know it sounds really stupid, but like we got orange, we got pink, we have like burgundy, like just to get the red on that cover, big pain in the ass. Oh, I'm a stickler for details myself. So I understand that completely, sir. It, it's only works <laughs> in the printing business. Like I know how hard it is. It just, just to write shake it. Every printer is a little bit different and every program is a little different. So like 
hitting that sweet spot is often very hard to do. Yeah, it was only so you know credit to my to my girlfriend Manny for for helping me you know pull that off. Um, but in terms of just like the inspiration of of the look, I mean, I just I don't know. I wanted something simple. Like I like simple yeah. book covers. Um, I feel like especially in self publishing. I just, I don't know. Like, I feel like not all of them, but there's a lot of self-published books that just, I think that when authors kind of design their own covers, sometimes they're a little too cluttered or busy, or they're trying too hard to like grab your attention. So they cram it with all kinds of graphics. And I, I feel like kind of a less is more approach is more effective. Just keep it simple. Yeah. It doesn't have to look like an IPA can, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and that's, um, uh, that's Nicholas Cage's tomb on the back cover, isn't it? Correct. Yeah. Oh wow! I didn't even know that. Holy yeah. crap! Yeah, no, he he actually does have the tomb in uh, in New Orleans. It's like I even love how like there's nothing on the spine. So even if people were to grab it from a shelf, they have to take it down to figure out what it is. It's just it's literally mystery on a shelf. I love it. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, I don't know. I, I I think it looks cleaner that way. And and quite yeah. frankly, the book is kind of thin. So to put anything on the spine, it would have the font would have to be so tiny that I was just like, eh. right. I just like a nice clean kind of blood red. I thought that was you know the way to go. Oh, I mean, don't turn your back on the wolf pack. I love those colors. <laughs> <laughs> uh, something that you mentioned when answering uh, one of Pat's questions kind of triggered a question for me. Uh, what made you decide to want to go into pro specifically? Because you mentioned like you had a lot of interest in like various art forms like film and writing and stuff like that. What What made you specific or were there any like books or authors that you found that were just like, Oh shit. Like this, this makes me want to do this instead of some of the other things. Another really good question. Um, yeah, I mean, I'd been writing spec screenplays for years in LA and, uh, with varying degrees of almost success. Like I had agents, I had managers, I was at a couple different, um, big agencies and, I mean, I've taken studio meetings at every major studio and pitches and development deals with producers. And, you know, year after year, I'd have like really close calls with like getting a movie green letter made and nothing would ever happen. And it was just like year after year of just almost, but not quite. And so I was getting a little burnt out from that just because I want, you know, it's like the whole tree falls in the forest analogy. Like if you write something really awesome, but no one reads it, who cares? Like it doesn't matter. So I, I just want to connect with an audience and I just wanted to, you know, have something that is a finished product and something that just people can enjoy. And I can kind of just put it out into the world. Um, that was kind of the, the overall development of that. I mean, you know, COVID helped <laughs> because uh, everybody's you know, sitting at I, home. Yeah, I was sitting at home and, and, you know, and everything just kind of imploded, like, you know, right before COVID, I, you know, I had one of my screenplays got on the blood list, which if you guys don't know, or your mm. listeners don't know, it's sort of like the top 10 unproduced horror scripts or genre scripts of any given year. So it's kind of a coveted thing. It's a cool thing to be a, a part of. And I finally got a script on there as of, uh, what was it? It was October of 2019. And so all, and I, you know, I worked really long and hard on that script and then COVID hit. And then all of a sudden, like I got let go by my agents and like, n- like there was no work anywhere. And so I was just like stuck at home. And I was like, man, you know, when you give a screenplay to someone, it, you're basically asking them to help you solve a problem. 
you either you need notes or feedback, or you're trying to get financing, or you're trying to get talent attracted to it, or directors. Like, there's just so many barriers to entry with a screenplay. Whereas when you give someone a, a novella or a novel or whatever, it's basically just like, here, enjoy it, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, and also it's just it's just something that I have full creative control over, you know. Completely understand that. You don't you don't need finance because all, the whole budget is in someone's head. They can just take what you have and extrapolate that to the nth degree. Look, I mean, screenwriting is definitely an art and a craft, and I have a lot of respect for it, especially anyone that can make a career out of it. And I'm not giving up on screenplays. Like I definitely want to keep writing them, but there's just something so freeing about not having to worry about a budget or locations or any of those logistics. Um, just to be able to write something from your imagination and just have fun with it. Like that to me has just been so, it's just been so liberating. And it produced something fantastic. Cause again, yeah, it did. Yeah. This, is, this is a great novella. I love this book. Well, thank you. I mean, originally it was going to be a screenplay and uh, I had the idea years ago and I just never got around to it. And I figured, you know, I was busy developing with producers at the time, the script that ended up getting on the blood list and I just, you know, conventional wisdom was like, don't spend months or years of your life developing a screenplay if it is completely dependent on one actor becoming attached to it. Like, it's like, it's so risky and there's already so many odds against you. Like, um, so I didn't for the longest time. And then I was like, when COVID happened, I was like, you know what, whatever, let me just have fun with it. And then I found out that Massive Talent was in production. And once I read that log line, I was like, okay, well, this is not going to be a movie ever, but screw it. I'm still just going to write this thing and let people enjoy it. So that was kind of how it happened. See, cause I, it feels like if I had all of the money, <laughs> I would just give you and anyone else, all of the money to write a series. It's different people moving into this house, different movie stars. <laughs> cause that, that, I feel like that would be the fun just to go from cage, like Tom Arnold or Van Damme, just <laughs> each one of them dealing with their own uh, different stuff coming to life. Cause I would watch the hell out of that. I mean, it, look, it's a super fascinating, New Orleans is a super fascinating city that that mansion in particular has such a, a fascinating history. It's a very dark and tra tragic history, but it's still like fascinating. And uh, yeah, when you put a, a guy like Nicolas Cage in that environment, I mean, it's like, how could you not want to write that story or read it for me? You know, mm -hmm. uh, I will say uh, that segues really well as a question I had. Uh, when he, when telling and getting ready to tell your story, what was your research process like? Did, like, did you have did you make any trips down there yourself? Was it all online? So, in terms of researching for the location and into Cage's character himself, uh, I'm ashamed to admit that I have not been to New Orleans, um, and I would love to go. Um, but this was again, this was like you know COVID time, so traveling was like you know, not the best. Um, and fortunately the internet exists. I don't know how people, I don't know how anyone wrote shit before the internet. Like you'd have, to, <laughs> you'd have to like go to a library and like, you know, get books out or you'd have to fit, like go someplace. Um, go outside. Fuck that. <laughs> that sounds terrible. <laughs> well, what let the first, what the first search did was just like tying a question to a bird and letting it go. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. And I mean, look, if I could have, uh, yeah, I would have, I would have loved to have moved into the LaLaurie mansion myself to write this thing and, and just live in New Orleans for that. I mean, that talk about like a meta experience, like that would have been a dream come true, but, uh, you know, yeah, I do extensive research. 
uh, documentaries, um, articles, uh, just, you know, interviews, everything I can, I can dig up on the property, the history of the property, the, the legends, the rumors, the fact versus fiction, you know, and I kind of just cherry picked from that. I mean, I try to incorporate as many of the details as possible uh, about the mansion in the story based on some aspect of its actual history, um, including like the little ghost girl. Apparently she was a real person um, who suffered that same fate. So that's one of my favorite parts is doing the research because I just love to, especially when you're dealing with, again, uh, an environment and a location that's just so rich and has so much history. It's like, you don't need to make shit up. You can just really just pull from real life and it's just as entertaining, I think. Absolutely. Were there any particular cage films that you pulled from for your characterization? Because there are so many parts, especially when he keeps correcting people about the skull, that it just sounds exactly like what I would expect him to be like in real life. You know, I didn't want I, I, I wasn't trying to bend over backwards to like put a bunch of Easter eggs in, in, in the story, like referencing his movies too much. I mean, we name drop a couple of his movies. Um and that, there was kind of a reason for that. Uh, there was a little bit of like a thematic symmetry with the, the titles that I chose for that. But like there are I even like rereading it like subconsciously. Yeah, there are references to either Nick Cage's filmography or just the Coppola's. They're kind of like sprinkled throughout. Yeah. Um, and, and they're really more subtle than even I intended, but they're there. And it's kind of a fun game to sort of count how many there are. I haven't actually taken the time to count them all, but there are. <laughs> There are definitely references uh, that are throughout. Uh, I know one of my favorites is um, Armando's, like, of course, uh, the iconic Superman jacket. And uh, <laughs> when he's at, when he's at the, the hotel bar sheltering from the storm, he asks for wine and, and the bartender brings out the Coppola family vineyard. It's like, I asked for real wine, not horse piss. And the, the infamously <laughs> untasty, we'll say, uh, Coppola uh, wine. Because I've heard horror stories about that wine. Haven't tried it myself. but Oh, wow. I thought that was a bit. I didn't know that was real. Mm-hmm. Oh shit. <laughs> I mean, uh, no, I mean, it, yeah, it's a real wine. I don't know. That to me was just like a fun way of playing up. Like, I don't know what you guys in your research and, and kind of love of cage and the whole Coppola family or whatever, but like, I don't know, like in interviews, whenever he's mentioned his uncle, uh, you know, he's, he's been very candid about sort of, you know, they didn't really maybe always get along or see eye to eye creatively. Like he wanted to work with his uncle more and his uncle kind of didn't, uh, you know. And so I feel like there was always maybe a little bit of a chip on his shoulder and like living in the shadow of Francis Ford Coppola and like trying to reinvent himself. I mean, he, he changed his last name, you know, so I, I you know, I respect that about him. And I thought it was just a funny little bit to like, <laughs> yeah. you know, waiter brings over a bottle of Coppola and he's just like, no, I want like really good wine, you know, <laughs> give me the 500, $500 bottle, you know? <laughs> all right. So, um, we, we're all here, you know, for our love of cage. So I wanted to ask what were some of, what were some cage performances that made you a fan with a capital F? Wow. Um, I mean, like the first time I ever remember him was, uh, in Peggy Sue got married. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know if you guys saw that, but like that was like a super bizarre performance where he did this whole affected this whole voice and caricature. And it was really bizarre. But I remember that being on cable, like growing up 
And I just remember like, who is this guy? Like <laughs> such a weird, he seemed like uh, out of like a cartoon or something. And, you know, I mean, he's kind of omnipotent. I mean, if you just grow up in America from the eighties onwards, like, I mean, the guy's been working nonstop and he's worked oh, yeah. in every single genre there is. So eventually you're just going to, through sheer osmosis, you're going to absorb gauge. Like, he's oh, yeah. kind of, right. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, you know, in the eighties, I remember, uh, raising Arizona, um, and, uh, and like some of the, the, the comedies that he was doing then. And then he kind of segued into, you know, obviously the action films of the nineties. I mean, that's probably like when I really started, that was, I was of age to go to the movies with my friends and those were the movies he was making at the time. It was like the kind of the golden age of, of nineties action movies. And they were all starring Nicolas Cage. So that was, that was sealed the deal for me. And then, and then, you know, I'm a huge fan of, I think maybe my favorite era of cage has been the last 10 years before his resurgence, like all those kind of forgettable throwaway movies that he's been doing that, you know, that, that are just super random and weird. Like I love them. Cause I think that's when he, you can just tell he kind of knows what he's up, like what kind of movie he's in and he doesn't care. And he's just going to do whatever the hell he wants. I think he's done some of his most interesting work in the smaller movies that no one's seen. Mm-hmm. That, that's fair i would have to agree with that oh yeah it's just it, it seemed like he was just being nick cage for several years after you know the the vampires kiss and raising arizona era and then he thought well no one's watching i'll just do whatever the hell i want and it's it's fantastic yeah yeah no i mean i think that's i what i respect about him the most is the fact that like i can't think honestly i can't think of a more interesting actor in the sense that whenever you watch him in a movie and it doesn't, it doesn't matter like what genre it is or if it's a big budget or low budget or whatever, it's like, there isn't, there's a sense of kind of, not danger, but just like an, he's unpredictable. Like you don't know what he's going to do. Uh, And, you know, there's not many actors that, that I think have that same, that same vibe. And he never feels like he's phoning it in, even in stuff like left behind, which we recently reviewed because it's terrible. (laughs) He was the most believable part of that movie. Oh, for sure. Yeah. No, I was laughing when um, I, I listened to the the show you guys did about the weatherman. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, yeah. And coincidentally, Mike, I was getting a kick out of it because my girlfriend and I watched it for the very first time uh, just a couple weeks ago. Oh, so, okay. Nice. Yeah, like, so everything you guys were saying, every one of your opinions is completely different. And every one of your opinions is 100% valid. <laughs> right. Um, but he just take, I know he just takes risks and he just doesn't, he just doesn't seem to give a shit. Like he has no, um, no shame. Like he'll just throw himself completely into a character and you got to respect that. Oh, 100%. absolutely. Have to anybody that walks around in that suave jacket that is behind you right now. <laughs> I mean, you got to respect it. It's, his, <laughs> he's been staring at us the whole time. <laughs> has he been here the whole time? So you've literally been talking about me for um, 30 minutes now. You haven't even said hello. But- Sorry. He's, he's not very talkative today, but um, I'll, I'll try to do my best. How are we on time, by the way? I'm sorry. Yeah, no, uh, we're right up at the point where we should probably just for safety's sake, take a quick break because 
for our listeners, we're doing this over Zoom, which is our first time using it. And also the free version, which gives you like a 40 minute limit on how long you can go because I'm not paying $400 for a pro membership for a thing that we're probably never going to use again. Shame because our sponsorship. <laughs> yeah, how will we ever talk to Marco again? You, you should have just said, oh, actually, now we have to take a break and hear from our sponsors and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, but. Oh, the, the 20 people who listen to our show already know that the sponsors are just me doing silly voices for our own merch store. It's fine. Our sponsors comes out of our own pocket. <laughs> hey, I love it. Grassroots, baby. DIY. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to take a quick break so we can start up a new call shortly also, because that's how we got to get around it. And we'll Damn, be I'm right sorry. back. <laughs> All right. Grace. Class. Style. All of this and more can be found at tpublic.com slash user slash Caging Greatness. Show the world that you'll never let anyone cage your greatness. Lady, stop scaring me. <laughs> recording in progress. Yeah, no, that, that's, a, that's a weird recording. Anyway, we're back. Hello. Uh, after what was probably just the same stupid bullshit we always put in between the breaks of our show. I miss Rob's reviews. You know, I miss Rob's reviews too. He's been super sick lately. Man, uh, get better, Rob. Yeah, he's, he's on his way better. Uh, I need to give him a call on Wednesday. He's got a doctor's appointment. Anyway. Listen yeah. to the show. He'll remember. Yeah, we're back <laughs> with, uh, with Marco, who was just saying really nice things about us that we should have been recording for, but it's fine. <laughs> Take our word for we'll it. We'll just put it on a shirt. It's fine. He, thought, <laughs> he thinks we're the best ever, and uh, we're going to roll with that. Going to remember that compliment for the rest of our lives. <laughs> <laughs> so we're talking about the haunting of Nicolas Cage. In case anyone forgot over the minute 45 in between where we left off. If you're just joining us. Right. For some reason on this show that is just one big audio file. And uh, yeah, we got some more questions. We're going to talk about some more Nick Cagey stuff. So, uh, Cannon, what you got? Okay. Well, I, I guess this is, again, like I wasn't like 100% if we were going to go into spoilers for the book. And necessarily, this is just a minor little detail. But I have to ask, like... I I read this book like very shortly after seeing Massive Talent. So, you know, I was in the mood. I was ready to go. And like, like I said, everything that K, I think Justin said, everything that Cage says, like I'm hearing him say it in my head as I'm reading every word. But I had to ask, there there is a moment in the movie and this book, uh, a shared moment. It's that one bit where it's like, I'm Nick fucking Cage. How sweet was that shit? At least to like see, wow, that is in my book, and I'm also hearing that shit on the big screen. Like that had to have been at least a mark out moment for you. I mean, right? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean it's look, awesome minds think alike, and I, I think the the you know massive talent in my book are like very different in many ways, but oh, yeah. they, they share some thematic uh, connections, and I think they complement each other kind of in a weird way. But um, but yeah, no, I mean it's you have to, if you're going to have Nicholas Cage as your protagonist, like, you know, where he's playing himself for that matter. Like, yeah, you need, you need to have that kind of that moment, that self-aware moment, you know, where he's trying to psych himself up. I mean, I just think that it's, it's just so perfect for his character. Oh, it's so good. Just like the little bits, even like the, the pink jacket gets mentioned. And I love that. I, who doesn't want that damn jacket? I'd wear that jacket. I mean, seriously. Oh. 
because yeah, I'm my review of the book, like, I swear, like Hollywood really needs to give you just all the money because if you just want to make Nick Cage's life an anthology series, this is the horror tale. Just like no connection whatsoever, go straight to this. And it is, man, I'd buy that for all the dollars. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. I mean, <laughs> you're not the first person to say that. And, but, um, yeah, I mean, who knows? Stranger things have happened. I, I don't think that will happen uh but it would be really cool if it did look i'd be happy if he just recorded like an audiobook version of this oh that, that can you imagine been. you can just listen to him reading the story and that'd be cool that'd if be i had all the money <laughs> i would i would I'll, nick i will pay off every debt you have just do an audiobook of this <laughs> he's as far as i know he's he's in the clear i think he's you know he got past all that and I, I, I wouldn't, I, I'm guessing that because of his kind of uh, resurgence that he's, he's probably going to be like super picky about what he does. That's kind of what he's indicated in interviews. So it's, it'd be really interesting to see like entering this new chapter in his career based on like the last 10 years, like, okay, well, what kind of choices is, is he going to make now that he actually has the luxury of just like cherry picking what he wants to do? Like, I'm really interested because now if he does something, it's not, you know, it's not to like get square with the IRS. It's because it's going to be something that creatively inspires and excites them. So like, it's just great. Cause like any decade and any like few years, like he has a completely different career. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's a chameleon for lack of a better word. I'm honestly surprised he hasn't done a movie about trying to find the Holy grail considering he's been trying to find the Holy grail. Yeah. yeah. Cause uh, I feel like that would be right up his alley. I mean, it's, I mean, essentially that's kind of like what national treasure is kind of right. Yeah. Be like the real life version of it, which I'm sure would be hilarious because it'd just be, you know, him like driving around England, just like getting into trouble and just, yeah, uh, that would be, <laughs> that would be amazing. I mean, the man lives a filmic life. He's like everything that's discussed in the book. He bought dinosaur skulls. He bought the, what he thought was to be the actual cup of Christ and two castles. So like, just a just a biography in, in itself is a movie and just to even extrapolate that on a little bit you know like it doesn't really need an embellishment almost but although uh but with your story i feel like it could possibly happen because that's just the eccentric life that cage lives yeah yeah like if, if you told me that he called you last week and was like no how did you do that actually happened i would not be at all surprised i would 100 percent believe every word of it it was, it was a fun, creative challenge. Like, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't root through his trash and garbage night to like get all these details. Like they're all public domain, all this stuff of his life. And he's, and he's a pretty, I mean, you guys have seen interviews with him. He's very like candid and just personal. And I'm sure there's parts of his life that he keeps private. Like he, he doesn't talk about his pyramid tomb. Like he doesn't like talking about that in interviews. I don't know if you guys have noticed that's like one of the things he doesn't really explain. So there's still some mystery, but for the most part, he's like kind of an open book. So my job is just to take all these dots and just come up with like interesting ways to connect them. No, it, it was again, like just, we keep saying it, but the book is fantastic. Yes. Like, I, I I've read it. it three times since it came in. I got my no. copy like three or four weeks ago. Yeah. Well, oh, wow. I, I read you. fast and it's really <laughs> enjoyable. So well, yeah. thank you. I mean, that means a lot that that's, that's, you guys are like my core audience. So I'm, I'm really, it makes me happy. 
I mean, look, I wrote it for myself. I just wrote it because it's like, this is a story. I, this is the haunted house Nick Cage adventure I've always wanted to see or, or at least read, you know? Mm-hmm. So and I write for myself first and foremost. I was about to say, in the end, it's all about just like putting your art out there, making it the best you want it to be. And it can be. And by golly, you did it, sir. Mm-hmm. Like, I love this story. And and it makes it, I do want to ask, um, what are some of the like, um, the like leaps and hurdles that come with uh, self-publishing a book like this on novella like this. Yeah. I mean, I, I just, you know, I just published a little article on, on medium.com that kind of explains it's like a two-parter. Uh, mm-hmm. The first part I call um, it's surviving the horrors of self-publishing part one technical shit. And then there's going to be a part two that's going to come out maybe in about a month where it's okay. like all the promotional stuff that you got to do. Um, it's my first time, like, putting a book out in, into the world. So I, it's definitely been a learning curve. Um, and yeah, what, like, what, what could I mention about? It? I mean, we talked about the cover a little bit and just like what a pain in the ass it is to have a cover that looks really good. Even if it's, even if you think it's simple, um, you know, it was, like I said, compared to screenwriting where you have a lot of kind of rules and regulations, I mean, you know, the rules are meant to be broken kind of thing, but essentially it's got to be a certain page length. Um, there's just lots of things you have to keep in mind. So with this, I didn't really have a page length in mind. I was like, I'm going to just write this as long as it feels like it needs to, to be, to tell the story. Like I wasn't trying to cap myself off it or whatever. It's like, if this could have been a novel, but it just turned into a novella. So the actual writing process was, was fun. I mean, I did a lot of research, as I mentioned, the actual publishing part was just, you know, doing it through Amazon, like a lot of other indie authors, you just gotta, it's a lot of formatting and, and, you know, uh, just, you know, choosing the, the font. like, you know, I, I've, I've never looked at more fonts in my life <laughs> or I'm just like, it's like the shit you don't think about where you're like, you know, you just read books and then, you know, the book's either boring or it's not, but like, you don't think about, okay, well, there's different fonts and there's different reasons for the different fonts. Like all that stuff was, uh, you know, had to be included. So, but the technical shit, once you learn it, you kind of, it's, it's one and done. Like then it's just about being inspired and, and just writing fun stories. Oh yeah. Right on. Yeah. Okay. So we, this is our first ever interview with anybody ever about anything for any reason at all. Uh, but the one thing I've always heard that was good and I wanted to make sure is it, is there anything that you want someone to ask you about that you want to talk about as far as like the book itself or, or your work, uh, or anything like that. Like what, what's the answer to the question that you wish somebody would ask you in one of these things? Is that your way of saying you ran out of questions? <laughs> no, my way of saying that was I ran out of questions because Pat stole one of mine. Excuse me, <laughs> sir, sir. Uh, uh, what was I saying about the great by taking a light? <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, Gosh, that that's a hard question, man. I don't know how to. Is there anything that I would want to talk about that no one's? I mean, you guys have been asking really good stuff so far, and um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's it's really based more on like just what what you guys are curious about or or, or want to know about. I don't, you know, um, yeah. I mean, the inspiration of it was was basically just kind of finding out that that he owned the house, the the mansion in the first place, and that he, you know, in interviews he talked about it, and and that he purchased it on purpose. He knew it was haunted. He wanted it to be haunted. And, um, and that's kind of where, where the whole idea came from. It just seemed like, you know, 
it's like uh, the evil dead meets the shining, but with Nicholas cage as, as your lead, essentially, you know, man, I'm glad you said that because I was getting evil dead vibes. Like, especially with the, uh, the dinosaur skull, when that started moving about, I was like, Oh, come on, man, this is good <laughs> shit. I love it. Yeah. I just wanted to make all these, these things that he purchased kind of all the trappings of his success and his luxury, literally coming back to bite him in the ass, Yeah, you know? And I just thought that'd be a really fun, fun thing to do. And um, weirdly enough, I did not, I knew that he had albino King Cobras as pets. I did not at the time of when I wrote this, I didn't know that he actually had a two headed snake. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. That was like a, (laughs) that was like a weird, there was two weird things that happened when I wrote this, that it was like, after the fact, I realized, holy shit, like that was pretty accurate. One was the two headed snake thing. Um, And then the other was when he's, towards the beginning of the story when he's walking to the karaoke bar with Pat and they're, they're doing the whole uh, Saturday night fever, staying alive walk. Yeah. <laughs> right. That again, I was just playing with the fact that this, you know, homeless guy keeps mistaking him for John Travolta and that he doesn't bother to correct him anymore. Cause he's just like, whatever. <laughs> and he's so game. Like he's just, he just likes to be a people pleaser. He just likes making people happy. So he's like, sure. But then there was an interview that I saw after I was finished writing the story where he was talking about, um, there was a moment, I guess, before he had a career where he was like walking in. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but basically he was it was like the 70s. He was walking through Beverly Hills and he had just seen Saturday Night Fever. And he, I think he might have even been carrying not like a paint bucket like Travolta did in the movie, but basically he was like carrying something. And he was like listening to that song or thinking about the song. And he was like obsessed with that movie and that character. And then apparently, and you guys have probably heard him tell this story, but a car pulls up at the intersection and at a red light and it's John Travolta. And he has this moment where like they lock eyes and it was like this weird existential moment or whatever. And then of course, years later, they're in face off. But so I didn't know how much that really meant to him. And that was just one of those things I just kind of put in there. And then I realized, oh yeah, that actually is like resonates with, with his, with his youth, you know? Well, as the uh, the host of the uh, spinoff within the spinoff, Travolting <laughs> Development, I loved that John Travolta bit in the book. <laughs> it was good. It was really good. <laughs> um, I guess. Um, oh, I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. I, I just my favorite part of that is like he just goes with it. He just rolls with it. <laughs> He's like, ah, well, it make, makes sense, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> to, to, to cage in the book. <laughs> but uh, I guess um, I I am like recently having uh somewhat of a horror resurgence i too like grew up with like like the classic slashers you know jason uh, the halloween friday 13th uh nightmare on elm street etc um and i've also been um uh trying trying to scope out really good horror books so like i guess i want to ask like what were some of your like um i guess like literary inspirations maybe more so in horror i suppose I am tragically underread. And the reason for that is same. I don't even know how to read according to the show. That is <laughs> but I'm he's, done, at, he's done very well. We're very proud. Well, of I'm like, working on it. The third time I read this book, I was actually reading it out loud to Canada. <laughs> uh, well, now you're a good friend. Um, I mean, I haven't, uh, you know, I, I've read some of the, the greats, uh, Edgar Allan Poe, Stephen King, um, you know, but the, the, the problem that I found in my life is that all of my free time goes towards either researching what I'm going to write or writing what I'm going to write. Okay. And so I don't know, I, I'm super jealous of people that find the time or carve out the time to like get through books every month. 
Like yeah. I am so jealous because I just wish I had that time and focus. Cause it's either I've got, you know, I mean, I work in my day job or I'm doing my, my writing and it's like, there's just no time to really read as much as I would like to. Um, that said, I mean, honestly, if there was a literary influence, it sounds weird. And it, I don't even know if it's even remotely like tangible in, in, in my writing or whatever, but like, I, I kind of want to write horror more like Hunter S. Thompson. I don't want to try to, more, I, I would lean more towards like Hunter Thompson and that whole weird vibe than like maybe Stephen King. And I, I love Stephen King, but you know, I, I love him so much. I'm like, I, there's no one, you can't come close to that and don't even try. So like, and also just my whole sensibility is I think a little bit more weird and, and, and not like, I'm not, and this might sound, kind of blasphemous for the genre, but like my primary goal with writing horror is not to necessarily scare people. And I know that sounds like a complete, um, you know, contradiction, but like, I just want to tell a really good story with like a good character and yeah, there's horror in there. And I, hopefully the horror is either fun or spooky or whatever, but, um, but yeah, like, I just don't want to write horror that is trying too hard to be, creepy. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how I'm, I'm not articulating it well, but like, you know, I've been told a friend of mine told me, he's like, you know, it's like, I'm reading. He's like, you know, I have a couple of friends that aren't into horror and they're just, you know, they're good friends. So they'll, they'll read it. And they're like, you know, I loved it. Uh, it, you know, but it's like, I don't know how you, he's like, it doesn't really read like a typical horror book. You know, it's like, it kind of sneaks up on you. And then all of a sudden, oh yeah, you're in a horror book. But like, so, and I like that. I like, I like kind of, um, playing against the genre a little bit yeah i, understand I don't know that. if that answers your question at all but that that's the best i can come up with and i gotta i really appreciate that because i am a self-professed weenie uh, <laughs> i don't like horror movies because i hate being startled i love atmosphere so like the kubrick shining and i also like 13 ghosts weirdly because that just feels like a comic book you know, and Matthew Lillard's there and he gets snapped in half uh, but no, I'm, I'm i'm a wuss i don't like being scared and i don't like like being startled, especially, but I loved your book because I love that creepy atmosphere of stuff without worrying that I'm going to be afraid to walk down my hallway that night when the lights are off. You know, that's why I love you know, Sam Raimi stuff so much. Cause it's, it's in that wheelhouse, but it's more accessible to someone who just fucking hates being scared. <laughs> so I greatly appreciated it. Also it's, it's, well, thank you. And it's, it's also a completely different skill set to like write a scary screenplay versus a scary novel. I mean, a screenplay, obviously it's a transitory document. It's meant to be seen, not read ultimately. So when you write a, a horror script, you know, you, you know, inevitably you're, in, you're going to end up putting in a couple jump scares here and there. And I try, you know, that's a whole controversial like topic for horror people where it's like, some are very pro jump scares. Some hate them. And, I kind of, I think I'm more in the middle where it's like, I think a well-timed or well-implemented jump scare is priceless, but don't rely solely on jump scares. You know, sure. like you should, you should still tell a story. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, it is a tool, so you don't want to like overuse it or use it in the incorrect context. A hundred percent. Yeah. But it's like, you, there's no such thing as a jump scare in a, in a novel in prose. It's like, I can't just write boo and you're going to like jump out of your chair. So it, it is more atmospheric. It is about more maybe the dread and the emotion and, and um, you know, maybe some of the visuals or whatever. It's, it's, it's tough, man. I, I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm kind of learning as I go. I'm just making this up as I go along. So 
you know, as long as it's entertaining, that that's, that's the number one thing. Well, I will say you didn't write boo in there. Cause that might've scared me. Like I said, I'm a weenie. Just I mean, page, boo, like, ah. Jimmy did go a little pale when you said that a moment ago. <laughs> and that, that's not just a light either. I should just have one page of, of the novel. That's a pop-up book. Right. Oh, that would be <laughs> rad. Just, just fuck with people where it's like you're just reading a novel, reading a novel, and all of a sudden something jumps out at you. That would be fun. It's like you definitely nailed the atmosphere because like um I do a lot of my reading down here because this is probably the best light you can get right at this table. However, we also call it the the creepy murder basement for a reason. Abaddon? Abaddon? Make sure Abaddon's still here. There, there you are. But um anyway, I was legit like getting a little spooked at times while reading the book. And I was just like, man, I'm going to like finish this upstairs in the, in the bad lighting where it's safe. Oh yeah. Like, <laughs> after he leaves the hotel in the middle of the rainstorm and he's standing outside the house, like, well, I guess I'm going to go back in. I'm just like, don't do it. Don't do it. That's a bad idea. Yeah. I mean, look, I grew up in, in Buffalo. We had basements. I mean, pe- people don't really have basements in Southern California as much. Um, like my girlfriend didn't grow up with a basement. So yeah, it's like, look, you could read, like Dr. Seuss in a basement and it would be creepy. You know what I mean? Like basements are just kind of creepy in general. So, you know, uh, but that's a great place to read a horror book for sure. Oh yes. Well, yeah. Cause you know, in the Midwest and the South, it's the wind that's trying to kill you. So you need the basement, but in like California, it's the earth and the fire and then yeah. captain planet shows up and it just gets weird from there. It's like basements are relatively new monster for me too. This is the first house I've lived in with one. Yeah. <laughs> My grandparents had one and I still see that shit in my nightmares. <laughs> it was unfinished. It was spooky as hell. My cousin stuffed me in a dryer down there once. It was horrible. Oh, to this day, you don't dry your clothes. <laughs> I hang them to dry. I'm not getting near one of those death traps. Hey, you joke. Mine are literally hanging right there to dry. <laughs> I mean, there's been many times I come downstairs and I see like a human shape and it's just our tower of shirts. <laughs> I mean, th- 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 our basement is very conducive for like like spooky consumption. Yeah, there's a reason we're all along this one wall with the pops. And this this looks this looks good. <laughs> Over there, it's it's a little more cluttered and a little more murdery. <laughs> they, they can't take it behind us when we're back to the wall. Right, just that, that plug will try to kill me if I touch it. Just a bunch of Funko Pops staring at us angrily. Just yeah, I was gonna say, just wait till all those Funko Pops become possessed by some demonic spirit, and then you have a thousand <laughs> little demons that are trying to eat you. Like, like they all like zoom in on us at once. It's just like they so all, like, adorable, turn, so evil. Or to turn back away when you look. <laughs> uh, I guess this question is, uh, I guess, more for me because I think I'm the only fan in the room. So I have to know how was it meeting John Dunsworth and Pat Roach from Trailer Park Boys. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. Um, I was fortunate enough to actually be able to call John Dunsworth a friend for a bit. Really? Uh, yeah. Oh man. I, you know, I'll, uh, it's a long story short, but basically uh, I was just a fan. And, and in the years, like when the show wasn't on anymore before like Netflix, yeah. I just struck up an email correspondence with him and he was just so cool. I mean, and, and every, like there's, there's tons of stories of, of fans like reaching out and he would like talk to them and get to know them or whatever. But he, you know, he found out that I was an aspiring writer or, I mean, you know, I, I was writing at the time, but, um, and he was actually developing a, his own novel that, uh, that he wanted help with. And, uh, and so, yeah, so it ended up where I, he and I were collaborating on this novel. I was like helping him 
try, basically trying to finish up this 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 document that he had uh, before he passed. And and just yeah, it, it really sucks that we never got around to finishing it. But um, but it actually was like a you know it was like a a private detective kind of story that took place in Nova Scotia, but there were supernatural elements to it. I mean, like totally okay. not anything like the Trailer Park Boys, right, even though right. there were fun little. Easter eggs and references to the series in his, in his book, but, um, Oh man. Yeah. So yeah, really cool. I mean, he's just an amazing guy and, and Pat was really nice. I mean, I've, I've hung out with when they've been in LA, like, um, promoted either doing their shows or promoting stuff. Like I've actually ended up hanging out and like hang drinking with them and partying with them and stuff. So it was, yeah, that was pretty cool. I need any more of a reason to be jealous of you, sir. Goodness <laughs> gracious. No, but that is, that is really cool. Oh my, oh my gosh. That, you know what? I don't regret asking that question now. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I can tell you more, more details, uh, you know, when we're not recording, so we don't bore everyone else, but. Oh, uh, yeah. oh yeah. What I'm saying is everyone should watch trailer park boys. It's on Netflix and it's great. Okay. Well, we, I almost went to, uh, this is like about an hour down the road. Um, Pat Roach, uh, actually had a cheeseburger picnic at a bar, but I guess I just didn't have the money at the time, but I missed out on that. I was like, I can't believe I could drive to meet him right now. If I could, that's just wild to me, but that is, that is a fantastic story. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I'm so sorry. You guys froze for a second. So I don't know if uh, you heard me or, or something. Oh, I'm sorry. No, we're good. Yeah, we're back. Hey, I think we're back now. Cheeseburger picnic. Anyone that doesn't even know what you're talking about right now is like, what the hell is he talking about? <laughs> <laughs> There's a character named Ricky who, not Ricky, uh, Randy, who there is a character named Ricky, but he's a huge fan of uh, cheeseburgers. He just, uh, that's almost all he eats in the show. And uh, he did a tour where it was just Randy's uh, cheeseburger picnic tour. And he just went around bars and I guess they just cooked burgers and hung out. And I was like, man. Uh, again, hate I missed out on that opportunity, but I was just saying thank you so much for sharing that story. Like that, that is that is great. Yeah, I mean, it's look it, when you're reading and writing horror all day or all night long, like to unwind. Sometimes the last thing I want to watch is more horror, you know. And I love horror. I, I I consume a lot of it, but sometimes I just need a little something different. And for me, like Trailer Park Boys is that kind of go to, just like palate cleanser of just oh yeah, you know, having a few laughs. It's like some people would see office for background noise. For me, it's usually just trailer park boys. Like it doesn't matter what episode where I'm there in it yeah. to win it, baby. <laughs> Minus survivor, man. Yeah. <laughs> that's show. And let's, uh, let's try to put all that shit on YouTube for free. All the first seasons, he's still fucking doing it. Wow. Like he's just putting it on YouTube now. It's great. <laughs> I love that guy. I can start fire like six different ways because of him. I mean, he's a survivor. Can you tell him no? I mean, he's just yeah. going to do it on his own. <laughs> How did that release party for your book go? It looked awesome. Yeah, it looked super fun. Yeah, it was. I wish you guys were there. It would have. That would have been a real party. Um, oh, that would have been right. <laughs> I wouldn't been know what to do sure. at all. <laughs> you just had beers and just do what we're doing now. You know, that's it. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> it was cool. I mean, look, I did. I've never done any of this stuff before and I don't, you know, I currently don't have an agent or a manager or anything like that. So I'm just kind of fending for myself and, you know, I've got my brother and my girlfriend, they're supporting and helping me, you know, with this stuff. But, um, so I'm just winging it, you know, I'm just trying to come up with like creative ways. It's like, I wrote this thing and I'm really proud of it. And I know there's an audience for it, but it's like trying to 
somehow rise above all the noise of the internet and everyone else who's promoting all their content. It's like really hard to get people to a know the book exists and b like actually commit to like reading it. So just trying to have fun doing different things. So like, yeah, the little release party was, was just an opportunity to just invite some, you know, some old friends, some new friends. And, uh, it was a decent turnout and, you know, Nick was there. Fortunately, he was able to squeeze <laughs> it into his schedule. Um, but, uh, but it was cool. And we even had some like random people come up and, you know, take pictures with them. And I sold a couple copies just off of that. So that was kind oh, of that's nice. awesome. <laughs> uh, I did have a question regarding, uh, you said you see what Watson claimed a lot of horror. I know your time is limited, but what currently in horror or coming up in horror has your attention? Like in terms of like, uh, movies, shows, like uh, novels, like what in horror has you excited right now? Another tough question. It's oh, it's it's that anytime people ask me like, what are you reading? What are you watching? Like, like I always because when you um during pitch meetings, like at studios and stuff, like when you as a writer, like they always ask you those questions, and I would always just like for whatever reason, I would always just draw a blank of like what. I, what are movies? I don't even know what TV is. Like, I just would forget. Um, what am I looking forward to? Or, you know, I'm like, I'm watching the, um, uh, the last drive-in on shutter every Friday night with Joe Bob Briggs. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm kind of appreciating cause he digs up a lot of vintage movies that, you know, most of which I haven't even seen. Um, and so like, I'm kind of enjoying going through the, you know, the old stuff um, and the foreign stuff. Cause that to me is like, really, it's just so refreshingly different. Um, but like current stuff, I mean, shit, I don't, you know, I, I loved Ash versus evil dead. I know that was a few years ago, but like, I, that was I a lot of fun. Oh, I good, just good. finished a rewatch of that yesterday. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a good, that, that's something I can definitely watch again and again. Um, uh, but what, what, what else? I mean, like last summer, I liked the fear, the fear street uh, trilogy that was on mm -hmm. Netflix that came yeah. out there like three movies. They did like, I was actually pleasantly surprised. I thought it was like super fun. All, all of them. Um, and that was really cool. Um, I'm yeah, I don't know. It's uh, I'm rambling, but there, there isn't, hasn't been like one particular thing that's jumped out at me lately. That's been like super exciting. Like I, I'm kind of, over all the remakes and reboots of every yeah. main slasher. And it's not to say I won't watch them and, you know, it's a beer and pizza night and I have a good time. It's just like, like we've had certain characters for like 40 plus years in <coughs> multiple iterations to the point where I'm like, okay, like let's, let's do something else. Let's mix it up. Oh, malignant. I like malignant. <gasps> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> we hooted and hollered over malignant. Oh let me tell you. I love that movie so much. Because it was so batshit crazy and it was just so like unpredictable. And I, I mean, maybe other people thought it was predictable. Like I did not know where the story was going at all. And like, as the movie developed, I, my jaw was just like hanging open. And I was like, this is fucking great. Cause this is totally weird. And, and gonzo. And like, that is rare. Um, even though like, I don't think it's a perfect movie by any means, but it was entertaining because it was different. And, and there's just, we've, we've fallen into a rut and, and I think maybe we're getting out of it now. I don't know, but like there was just a particular kind of like supernatural haunted house movie that was sort of very cookie cutter and they were all starting to look the same and sound the same. And yeah, just, just, you know, uh, an excuse for jump scares and there's really no story or character development. It's like, I kind of got burnt out on that. So 
I mean, there's some really good ones among them that are really well made and shit, but like, I just, at a certain point, I get a little bored with that. So I don't know if you guys can recommend anything, like by all means, I would, you know. I know, at least for me personally, uh, horror movie I saw this year, and I thought it was just, it was fun and I'm looking forward to its continuation, um, X, that came out earlier in the year. I have to see that. I've heard really good things about it. And and the premise alone already sounds like it's it's pretty unique. And I definitely recommend that on, on at least in terms of the written word. Um, I recently finished My Heart is a Chainsaw by Stephen Graham Jones. Loved it. Like literally just like a big love letter to slashers. And like I, I love slashers myself because they're just like the most comic booky, most action figure versions of horror. And and like I love that that stick. And Savory Jones is a, it's a phenomenal uh, writer. So oh, yeah. anything he writes is, you know, you're well served. I am. I'm, I, I've, I've seen that book on social media, people like raving about it. And like, let me tell you, as a writer, I am so fucking jealous about that title because that yeah. is just a, <laughs> that is a badass title. Like, I love that title. I feel like every time you so, open it up, like a uh, break stuff by Limp Biscuit should start playing. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I know this movie's a few years old now, but this this contributed to me like jump rekindling my love for horror movies because the marketing department was genius with this movie. It was definitely not what the trailers made it out or to seem like uh, hereditary. Th- that movie got me pretty good. Like I thought that movie was really spooky. And an ending that I was like, what? And, um, and again, Agreed. I too, yeah, it's, um, I know like a 24 is killing it in like a lot of movies. Again, I do want to check out X. Have you seen that part? You've seen X, right? You just recommended it. Correct. X. Oh yes. No, X. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. You have to do the hand sign. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, and uh, I don't know, uh, I had to contribute to the, uh, the uh, Indiegogo, but I am looking forward to the uh, fan, the uh, sequel to uh, Never Hike Alone. It is a uh, yeah, uh, Friday I've 13 fan film. Yeah, it's no, it's excellent. Uh, I, th- those guys are, are crushing it and they're, you know, that's just so cool that they can, they can just, you know, make their own Friday the 13th movies, essentially. That's um, right. Oh, man. Yeah, right. uh, we're we got the warning. It's about time to like go oh, for man. another meeting uh, because we're working around Zoom's ridiculous price point. <laughs> so we're going to take one more quick break, and we'll be back with more Marco. You got it. Well, hey there, folks. Do you like mugs, T-shirts, phone cases, stickers, wall art, pillows, all sorts of fun things with fun logos? Well, if you do, head on down to tpublic.com slash user slash Caging Greatness for all sorts of great merchandise and support your local creators. That's us. Hooray! All right, we are back after yet another ridiculous, superfluous break caused by Microsoft's inherent desire for money. Uh, and during that break, Marco, you said you remembered some other movies and stuff that you've been enjoying recently. Yeah, just um, like Mike Flanagan, uh, Midnight Mask. Oh, yeah. Yes, that was a lot, a lot of fun. And uh, Doctor Sleep, like I know Doctor Sleep was a few years ago, but but Midnight Mask more recently, like just in terms of like new horror content, he's definitely one of my my favorite filmmakers that's working right now. Um, and I have cautious optimism for the new evil dead um yeah same yeah i I want it to be good 
I want it to be good. I'm, I'm unfortunately, I'm one of those kind of annoying purists who sort of feels like without Bruce Campbell, it's not really evil dead, but I want to be more open-minded and, and hopefully it kicks ass. Cause that would be great. So, but yeah, but Mike Flanagan's done some really cool um, stuff lately and I'm, I'm looking forward to whatever he comes out with next. Have you had a chance to check out, I, I believe he did hush. It's on Netflix. Oh, yeah. I believe yeah, I love yeah. that movie. It's Super so creepy. Simple. Yeah. Yeah. It's a real simple movie and, and, and it's just two actors and one creepy premise and it, it's, yeah, it's really well done. One of my favorite horror movies, because I do have them, is Ernest Scared Stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Spooked me real bad when I was a kid, but now it's one of my favorites. I can watch it with only closing my eyes a few times. <laughs> it plays uh, month long at the shop around Halloween time. I mean, that's not inaccurate. It's on a rotation. The movie's hilarious. I love that movie. <laughs> I mean, you joke, but there are a couple of bits when I was a kid, that movie freaked me out too. Look, there's one bit where he's got his hand on a dumpster and it slams and he's got the perfect comedic timing of looking at it, back to the camera, looks at it again, back to the camera, and then he screams. <laughs> and I laugh like an idiot every single time I see that scene and I have done since 20 years now. <laughs> so, you know. Jim Varney, man, he was he was a genius. So, uh, we had a couple more questions, a little less serious. My question is, since you're the first non-already uh, friend guest we've had on the show. The first person we don't know. <laughs> right. For next year, around February, will you be our Valentine? <laughs> Gentlemen, I thought you'd never ask. I'd be honored. Fantastic. So that's a question he was waiting for someone to ask him. That's right. Yeah, man, it's never too early to have your Valentine's Day plans locked down. So <laughs> preparation's important, and I believe in being prepared. So, Cannon, do you have something? Uh, yes. Uh, can we be uh, characters in the sequel story? <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> it's, it's happening as we speak. This is all <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's going to be a meta within a meta thing where it's the writer of the haunting of Nicholas cage is doing these podcasts. And then Nick somehow gets involved. I mean, yeah, oh, perfect. Oh man. Pulling a real house of leaves sort of thing going on. <laughs> <laughs> stories within stories. Like, oh. Now when you become super rich and famous and all of your movies are getting produced and there's a scene in there with a, group of idiots doing a podcast who get brutally murdered by something we're gonna just point it like we know who that is that's just <laughs> just a living version of the leonardo DiCaprio means like mm, mm. <laughs> <laughs> we did it man look if, if i if if and when i get to that point i would fly you guys out so you could actually be the guys who get killed on set why, why hire some actors you know man who doesn't want to die in a horror movie i'd love to get merch off in a horror movie. all the money <laughs> I would give you half of it just to do whatever you wanted to do. You know, like how Hitchcock always did his little cameos or whatever. Like if mm -hmm. I ever had a horror film career of just scripts that I write, that get made. Like all I want is I just want to die in every single one. Just like, I don't need to have dialogue. Just, I just want to be like one of the victims or whatever. Like that would be, that would be my, my cameo signature. You mean you don't want to go full Shyamalan and be the writer that changes the world? <laughs> I, no, not really. <laughs> that sounds like a lot of hard work, you know. And, and and plus, when it comes to like deaths in the horror movie, they're like they're pretty iconic. I mean, like every franchise has like a one or a few kills, or just like you remember that that moment. I mean, started Johnny Depp's career being turned into a giant river of blood coming up from a bed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
or like like well you mentioned earlier Fear Street one of the one of the most iconic kills from the first one is the the bread slicer kill. I mean, why who, why would you want to be that person? Man, I still need to watch those. Let I don't me know why you. I haven't yet. Oh, they're they're really fun. But as a horror writer, that's one of the hardest uh, occupational hazards in, in terms of like being original. Is how do you kill people in a way that hasn't like no pun intended been done to death? It's like really really fucking hard. Um, so I mean, it's a fun challenge, but like that's it's really tough. Like so, yeah. that bread slicer was like cool. I mean, yeah, we've seen people slice before, but that was you know. That was uh, it, it. It was it earned the um, the chainsaw award, the Fangoria mm-hmm. chainsaw award. Yeah, that was on Shutter uh, a few weeks ago. Yeah, so I keep was, forgetting these are hard R. These movies what? are hard R. Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Damn, I didn't. Oh, know yeah, that. They're, they're pretty intense with some of the the the, the gitches. Um, <laughs> one question I had, just from our own experience, like being in this like little. Um, microcosm of you know this of nicholas cage and like meeting all of our contemporaries and like talking to different ones online like what's been some of your like like favorite experiences from white dead cage community and then how receptive have they been so far to your story i mean look not a lot of people have read the book so far but the people that have seem to love it either they tell me directly or through like a, an amazon review or whatever um it was really cool. Like I I've been friends with uh, Geo Parsons for a while uh, who created Willie's Wonderland. And he was one of the first readers of my, of this book, like when it was just a Google doc and he, he loved it. And um, he volunteered to like do a blurb for it and everything. And so that was really cool. And then I did an Instagram live with him uh, just as a, a fun little promotional interview thing where I could talk about, like we could talk about his comics because they, they're doing uh, Willie's Wonderland comics now that are really kick-ass. Mm-hmm. And Those are great. I abuse my power as a comic store owner to get all the variants <laughs> of every issue for myself. Oh, that's awesome. Um, and uh, and then through and through that little conversation that we had, uh, uh, Lorenzo, oh my God, I'm forgetting his last, I'm blanking on his last name right now. Forgive me, Lorenzo. But um, Nick Cage's stuntman of, from the last like four movies that he's done saw it because he's friends with geo. And then he's like, Oh, you know, I, I'd love to do that with you. So then I got to like interview and talk with Nick Cage's stunt man, like, and he couldn't have been sweeter and more like encouraging and all that. So like, it's, it's just cage is sort of like, um, he's the glue that holds us together as a society. <laughs> and really, what more do you want from the one true God? <laughs> yeah. So no, it's, it's, it's cool. And it's, it's also, I think to be, to be a fan these days, like, as I mentioned, I grew up in Buffalo. I'm, I'm a lifelong Bills Mafia member. And for me, being like a Bills fan, as heartbreaking as it's been for so long, and, you know, where they're, where they're playing at these last few seasons, it's like so gratifying because I've always you know, stuck with them. And I feel like it's such a great time to be a Cage fan now because true blue fans have been with him through thick and thin where he hasn't always been making maybe the best movies, but it's like really cool to, I think, see him like sort of flourish again. And I, I, you know, I feel like we all kind of share that sort of in a weird way, kind of pride where it's like, yeah, man, like good for you. Like we were renting and watching all those movies that we probably shouldn't have spent money on, but <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's very, very accurate. Cause I have a, uh, in my shop there, we put cages face everywhere. I've got a little standee that's behind my best vintage comics 
we stuck his a paper bit of his face into, inside a Millennium Falcon we have in a case, so he's flying it. And uh, everyone's like, oh, that's a great. How much is that Nicholas Cage? It's like, he's not for sale, but he can enter your heart for free. <laughs> and, uh, and it's, it's definitely a conversation and starter. And you like slowly slide a card to the podcast. Yeah, just like, like hey, oh, here's a <laughs> podcast that I know of. Please enjoy. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's look, so far everyone's been really cool. I mean, he's obviously an instant, like you said, conversation starter. And, and um, there's sort of a, a kind of unspoken bond between people. If you just know that someone's in a cage fans, like you already know that you have a friend kind of. Uh, and so I just, yeah, I mean, I just hope that people that read it, if they like it and they know other people that like Nick cage, um, just like word of mouth, like, you know, just help get, help get the word out. Because I just feel like if you're a Nick cage fan and you read this book, you're most likely going to enjoy it. And if you don't, it's not a huge commitment because it's a short book. So it's like win-win. Yeah. <laughs> Love it or hate it. Well, I find it unfortunate for the people who don't enjoy it because it is a fantastic time. Mm-hmm. I, I, I really enjoyed it. I want to read it again. I, I wanted to read it again before the show. It's just, again, time. Well, thank you. And, you know, let me know if uh, how you enjoy it the second time around. Sure will. You know, this, We're like friends on everything now. You're you're screwed. You're, you're, what was I, what was I thinking? <laughs> I made a Goodreads just so I could give this book five stars. Oh, so you're the one. No, no two. I gave her five stars. <laughs> there, were, there were at least three of us that I saw. It's like how dare you? Five stars. And the last I checked, this book is this book is sitting at a five stars on Amazon right now. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's it's uh you know it's got a whopping 15 reviews, uh, which for me is actually <laughs> like that's like huge. Um, but when you consider that most of them are actual like people I don't know, like a handful of them are like, yeah, friends, of course, but um most of them are people that I just don't know that just bought the book. So like that's really that's encouraging. It's just nice, like if people I mean, the whole point of doing this is just to connect with people and have them, you know, enjoy your stories. So that makes me really happy. Yeah. Cause once it was, once it was on the radar, like as soon as I saw that tweet that it was available, it was just like, boom, done. Oh, did like, you read it? Did you read about my little snafu um, that I posted about on Twitter where, why people couldn't find the book for like the first month? Oh my God, please tell that story. I please. (laughs) Okay. So this, this goes back to earlier when you were asking like, what are some of the, the challenges of self-publishing? Well, here's something that I'll tell people that um, are trying to put their own book on Amazon. You go through this whole kind of like, you know, uh, process of picking out the genre and the keywords and all this stuff you got to just fill in these forms and all this basic kind of information. Well, one of the questions they ask you is, um, and I'm paraphrasing, but it's something like, does your book contain uh, material that's unsuitable for children under the age of 18? You know? And I thought about it and I was like, well, yeah, I mean, if there's gore, there's like really strong language, you know, we got a couple C bombs in there. I'm like, yeah, you shouldn't probably read this to your kid before bed. So I was like, (laughs) yeah, uh, this is not suitable for children under 18. Cool. Don't think anything of it. Literally three weeks go by after I, I published and I just put it out into the world and people are like, oh, I want to read it. I want to read it. I can't find it. Where is it? And I was like, I just figured, well, okay, it's so new that maybe there, it, it needs the algorithm won't recognize it until there's a few clicks or purchases or whatever. I just felt like it's, it's an algorithm thing. But like three weeks in and I was starting to get five star reviews and people were starting to like talk about it and blah, blah, blah. 
they still couldn't find it. And well, I realized that when I clicked, it's not suitable for children under 18, that according to Amazon, you're basically saying it's porn. <laughs> <laughs> and they and they shadow ban whatever you're selling. It means if you send someone a direct link, they'll be able to buy it that way. But like if they just search the title or your name, nothing shows up. It's like a ghost. So that's a little tip for anyone. Who wants to <laughs> a hot uh, tip. Yeah. Because when I went to my um my Amazon uh, purchase history, um, there was like this little blurred out section, and I actually I was like, well, what could this be? And I clicked it, and it was the haunting of Nicolas Cage. And then when I saw that on Twitter, I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense now, <laughs> man. Yeah, I'm sorry that happened. <laughs> Lesson learned. I mean, it's fine, you know. Um, but if you know people people are listening and and the, they want to read it. You can find it on Amazon now. You can type in the title. <laughs> it will show up. Because this is America. We don't care about gore and blood and violence and death and swears, but God help you if there's boobs. No boobs. None. No. No, ma'am. That's a no. Can't have that. You talk about a boob in a book, you're, it's getting blurred. It's, it's like getting... that Parks and Rec meme. Straight to jail. Straight to jail. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah. I think that that about wraps it up for what we got. So Marco, what do you have coming up? So like you have another a little pop-up thing or uh, anything uh, you want to promote? Yeah, I'm doing a, a, a book signing uh, at the end of this month, June 25th at dark delicacies in Burbank, California. Um, it's, it's more than just a, a horror bookstore. It's kind of a, an institution. It's a, a horror hub for the community um it's been around for decades so that's it's cool to be able to do a signing there and you know and i'm just actually starting to work on my next my next book because i feel like you know i gotta do that at some point hell yeah <laughs> I've, I've been so busy just trying to like promote you know the haunting of nicholas cage and just putting together the parties and and doing all the interviews and stuff like that just like all self-generated so it's kind of chewed up a lot of free time but like now that that's sort of calming down it's like yeah i gotta i gotta write something else so and um, that one's gonna star four handsome podcasting protagonists right? <laughs> i'll see if i can work it in uh, it might be a bit of a stretch uh given the 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 plot uh but we'll we'll all i'll think about it um but yeah so i'm looking forward to you know uh, putting that out hopefully later this year and, and that's it, you know, and just, and just still trying to get the word out on, on, on this book and, and just hope that people continue to read and, and enjoy it. Awesome. Well, when your next thing comes out, you are more than welcome to, to, you know, we'd love to have you back for any reason. You're, you're a friend of the show now. Well, if you want to come on and just talk cage, we are down. Yeah. I mean, obviously we don't talk about cage all the time anyway, so <laughs> And also, you're a Valentine. That is a legally binding. <laughs> Tell you what, if you guys want to do a February 14th special, uh, I can I can be a guest for that. Well, we're putting. It in we're, now. You, you should do. Maybe you guys have already done this, but like doing basically a, um, a review of all of his best romantic comedies or love stories or whatever. Like that would be an interesting Valentine's episode. Top Ken. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that would be fun. Uh, and wouldn't that be around the two year mark of the show? Yeah, that yeah. would be around the two-year mark. Of the show. And plus, that'll be shortly after his own birthday. Yep. Okay. Well, you've just helped us with our schedule. <laughs> two months out at best. But no, like, thank you so much for coming on. This has been fantastic. And like I said, you're a friend now. We love you. Yes, Marco. Well, thank you so much. It's, it's been a blast. We're looking forward to this for, for weeks and weeks. I'm glad we, we managed to work out and it was a great time. Yeah. <laughs>
right back at you guys. It was really fun meeting you all and keep up the good work. Like you guys cracked me up. We could all use, <laughs> look, we could all use some laughs these days. And um, you guys are one of my go-to podcasts where it's like, you know what? I need to cheer. I need to cheer the fuck up. I'm going to listen to you guys. So Wow. <laughs> Thank you. That's high praise. That's a big vote of confidence. Thank you so much. Um, and your socials, like your social media stuff, we'll put links to it everywhere we post this, you know, just for the listeners who might not want to go to those links because they're lazy. Uh, you know, what, what, like what's your Twitter, your Instagram, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, uh, well, you guys trust for a sec. Okay. Yeah. My Twitter is just my name, Marco Manone at, uh, Twitter and twitter.com, <laughs> the twitter.com. Um, the and then my, my Instagram handle is Marco underscore macabre. Because uh, I nice. just thought that, sound, that sounded spooky. And it's a great wild. name. That's a fantastic name. It sounds like you should be hosting a horror show on Shudder. Oh, my Jimmy's God. shivering right now. It's like tag teaming with Elvira. That, that would be fun. Um, but yeah, so that's those are my socials. Um, anyone that ever wants to reach out or whatever, just uh, hit me up. Awesome. Thank you again for, for being on. This has been great. Yes. And uh, yeah, everyone listening, go buy the book, Books on Amazon, right? We'll put links to that. And it's not porn. So it is 100% we not porn. Not, not we promise. Porn. <laughs> I checked. <laughs> and uh, yeah. Thank we'll, you guys. Thank you. We'll see thank everybody you. next week. Take care. How absurd. Why couldn't you put the bunny back in the box? How absurd. I'm going to steal the Declaration of Independence.